Good morning. So good to be together this first Sunday of December. It's also the second Sunday in a row I've worn a sport coat. I just want to say don't get used to it. It is good to be together. I just, from time to time, I want to share with you where we're going in our preaching schedule so that you can be reading ahead. If you get the service plan that we email out, you already have this information. But we're going to be in Ephesians now for this week and next week, and I'm hoping to come to the end of our section in Ephesians next Sunday. We'll stop at verse 20, and then we'll do two weeks in Advent, and I'm going to do a two-week series on why Jesus had to come. I'm really looking forward to that. And then the first two Sundays in January are going to be Scripture memorization and prayer for the first two weeks because we want to start the new year on sure footing. And many of us will be starting a new reading plan or maybe refreshing the plan that we've been in for this year. And so I want to offer some pastoral encouragement for the disciplines of Scripture memory for letting the word of Christ dwell in us, and also for the discipline of prayer. And I'm very excited to get into both of those things with you. Then when we come back to Ephesians, we'll be in husbands and wives. So that's where we're headed for the next six or eight weeks or so. So hopefully you can read ahead and be on track with us. So as I'm looking at this passage now, we're in Ephesians 5, 11 to 14 this morning, and Paul is using these illustrations of light and darkness And how the light of Christ expels the darkness or exposes what is there. And I'm thinking about this through the week, about how common this is. And we should have a pretty good understanding of how light and darkness have been used in our world. It's pretty generally accepted that darkness represents what's bad, where light represents what is good. Okay, This is a a literary thing that many writers use. And it's really helpful in getting us to understand, okay, this character in the story is always clothed darkly, or he's always moving around in the darkness. We kind of get this suspicion for what's going on. And this person does everything in the light, and we start to connect these things with dark being kind of in the shadows and bad, and the light being good. This is a common theme for us in our literature. And oftentimes, the darker the darkness is, the lighter the light shines. You ever notice this? We just put lights up on a tree in our yard outside, and when we put them up and plugged them in, it was still kind of light out, and so the lights didn't look all that impressive. Actually, it looked kind of pathetic. And I was disappointed just for a moment. But then as it got darker and darker, you start to realize, oh, the light really is shining brightly. Do you know where I'm going with this? (laughs) Could we swap places right now? I want to encourage you as we get into this section, as Christians... Do not despair that the world is a dark place. Don't lose hope that all around us seems to be getting darker. You know why? Because if you belong to God, you are a child of light. And the light casts out darkness. So the darkness of the world, brothers and sisters, is merely an opportunity for the light of Jesus Christ. The thing that we celebrate this time of year with the light coming to the earth. Darkness is just an opportunity. So I want to encourage you, don't despair over the condition of our world. Rejoice that God has given us an opportunity to share his light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let's act like it. Let's use these opportunities to share the love of Jesus 
with the people around us. Well, we are, like I said, in Ephesians 5. So if you haven't, why don't you turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read verses 11 through 14. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 11. Paul says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we come to you this morning with thankfulness in our hearts that you have so moved, just like David said, in your mercy and in your grace, you have extended salvation to all of us who are so unworthy of it. And I thank you, Lord, that you did not just stop at saving our soul and leave us to ourselves, but now you have given us instruction and encouragement through your word as to how we are to conduct ourselves in a dark world. All around us are pressures and influences, things that would draw us away from you, but that is not what you have called us to. You have called us to be light in a dark world, so please help us. Please help us to know how this happens. Please help us to know how to walk in obedience to you, Father. And we give you praise for all that you have done and all that you've promised to do. Come and be our teacher now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we look at these verses this morning, what we're going to see is three reasons why you and I, as Christians, if you belong to Christ why we should stay away from these unfruitful works of darkness. Paul's already told us that because of who we are, our lives should look different because of the grace of God that saved us, transferred us into his kingdom. Our lives should look different than they did prior to coming to know Jesus. And now, in addition to that motivation, I want to give us these three reasons for putting away or staying away from these unfruitful works of darkness that Paul is going to talk about. So first, first reason, the works of darkness are polluting. The works of darkness are polluting. In Galatians 5, Paul lists out what he calls the works of the flesh. Now we know that in Paul, flesh is just a word that he uses for life apart from Christ. And so when he lists these out, I think we can see these really closely related to, if not synonymous with, the unfruitful works of darkness. This is what he says in Galatians 5.19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident or obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all things like these. Now, sometimes when we see a list, and Paul is a great list writer, but sometimes when we see a list, we tend to think, well, my particular thing isn't on there, so he must not be talking to me. Anyone ever done that? 
We can't do that. (laughs) We ought not to see these as really exclusive lists. And well, if I don't see my particular thing on here, it must not be a big deal. I think when we're talking about these unfruitful works of darkness, we should define them as this. As any behaviors or desires that are contrary to the revealed will of God. Okay, any behavior or desire... So we're talking actions and motivations, any behavior or desire that is contrary to the revealed will of God, which of course we find in his word. Rick Phillips says this, we as Christians are not to participate in things that promote sin and evil. If an activity or event is spiritually unfruitful, if it represents the values of darkness, If it isn't good, right, or true, which are things we saw last week, then Christians are to stay away from it. It will pollute your life. Now, some people will say, and maybe this is where you're at this morning, now wait, hold hold on, hold on. We don't want to be legalistic. Okay, We don't want to go around telling everybody, well, you can't do that, and you can't do that, and you ought to do this. Well, I agree with the statement that we ought not to be legalistic. Okay, that's, that's not what Paul is going. But I'm, I'm concerned that over the past, I don't know, maybe this has always been happening, 30 years, the pendulum in the church has swung from a pursuit of holiness. Well, that kind of sounds legalistic if we start telling people what they ought to do. So maybe the pendulum swings, and I'm afraid that it's swung in general. I'm not talking every church. I'm just saying in the broad culture to where there is almost no distinctive characteristic of a Christian. That should concern us because the Word of God is very, very clear. What happened to holiness? What happened to holding our lives against the standard of the Word of God, noticing the deficit and praying and working in the power of the Holy Spirit to rectify that? What happened to holding to biblical standards? Paul asked the question in 2 Corinthians 6, what fellowship does light have with darkness? The answer is none. Or John makes the statement in 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. The things in the world, the unfruitful works of darkness that Paul is talking about here, will pollute your life and will lead you away from God, not towards him. Now we've already established this walking, this path that we're on as Christians that leads us towards God. So why? Why do we entertain things that would lead us in the opposite direction? This is what he's getting to. And I wish, I wish that we would really understand that the biblical call of the Christian, what God has saved you for, is not to fit into the world. Your divine calling from God as his child is not to look as much like the world as you can, but still maintain this little pocket of faith over on the side. We are strangers here. Aliens. Sojourners is a word that the Bible uses to describe our temporary stay until the kingdom of God is finally realized. If we adopt the practices, the morals, 
the standards of the world as our own, that will delude your faith. It will pollute your spiritual life. When Paul says that these works are unfruitful, I think he means the kind of actions and attitudes that leave us empty. They don't produce anything. They don't produce love or joy or peace or any of the fruits of the Spirit. Rather, they leave us barren or empty. They're unfruitful. In Romans chapter 6, Paul has been talking about our life before God saved us, how we were slaves to sin, and then what that looks like after God saves us. And as he's reflecting back on this time before Christ, he asks this question. This is Romans 6, 21. He says, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? So when you were a slave of sin, following the course of the world, doing whatever you wanted, Paul says, what fruit did you get? Then he says, the end of those things is death. It's Romans 6.21. The fruit, the outcome of a life lived in pursuit of the world is death. Jesus was really clear, you can't serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other. You can't do both. This is what Paul is getting at in this section. I think what he's getting at is this idea that we might call nominal or casual Christianity. The kind of Christianity that just maybe suits your purpose when it does and when it doesn't you don't really go after it. Something that's kind of held loosely. The kind of Christianity that has virtually no distinction from the world or the standards of the world. That's casual. That's nominal. That's not what the Bible calls us to. I would be a terrible pastor if right now I didn't ask a couple of questions. And I ask myself these, so now I ask you, what is distinctly Christian about your life? Someone watches your behavior for a day, for a week. What marks you as a child of God? If you've been around for a while, you know I'm not just talking about this external thing, like you can just do the right thing. I'm talking about if the change in your heart is genuine, if the grace of God that was freely extended to you really saved you, then what does your life look like? Do you still find yourself drawn to the attraction of the world, to these fruitless and empty pursuits? Paul calls these things the work of darkness. I'm afraid there's many people who are under the false impression that we can live however we want. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. And God has a way for us to live the Christian life. And I'm just going to say, if there is something that the world considers good, right, normal, acceptable, it should at the very minimum Cause the believer to pause and say, hmm, is that something I want to be associated with? Okay, now I'm not saying that you have to follow my standard. That's legalism. For me to look at the Bible and say, I think this is what the Bible says, therefore you have to do what I say the Bible says. That's legalism, and that's not what I'm saying. You don't have to follow Jacob's standard. What I'm telling you is there is a standard. And you don't get to make it up. The Bible is calling us, brothers and sisters, 
to distance ourselves from the unfruitful, damaging effects of these works of darkness. This has been Paul's emphasis since we started chapter 4. For us to get rid of the old man and everything that entangles us in sin and trips us up and to put on the new man. This has been his emphasis. It's going to keep being his emphasis. We have a new standard that comes from a new heart. There's a prayer in the Valley of Vision. I want to read just a section of it. If you don't have this book, I will buy it for you. It is so convicting and good. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. This is from Regeneration. O God of the highest heaven, occupy the throne of my heart. Take full possession and reign supreme. Lay low every rebel desire. Let no vile passion resist your holy war. Manifest your mighty power and make me yours forever. Let me lay aside every sin admired of many. Help me to walk by thy side, lean on thy arm, hold conversation with thee, and henceforth I may be salt of the earth and a blessing to all. You hear that in there? Lay aside those weights. Lay low those rebel desires, those desires that would take you away from God. This is what we're called to. First, we stay away from these desires, these works of darkness, because they will pollute your faith. Second, we are to stay away from the works of darkness because our call is not to participate in them, but to expose them. You see that right in verse 11? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now here we need to be very careful as we talk about what this means. We need to receive the instruction of the word with wisdom and not ignore other places in Scripture. We don't want to be unbalanced in our approach to this exposing. Paul is not giving us permission to find the biggest theological hammer you can find and just start swinging at everybody. He is not swearing us in as deputies on his anti-sin task force. Okay? So what is he saying? What is he doing? Yes, we have been called to expose the unfruitful works of darkness, but what does that mean? What does that mean for you and for me right now? I would propose that this exposing of the darkness happens primarily by you and I living in humble obedience to the word of God. And as the light transforms your own heart, it will radiate from your life. And that light coming from your faithful, humble obedience to the word of God will expose what is around you. We are far too eager to point out the faults of other people. Me first. Especially when you know you're right. <laughs> yes. Or think you're right. Paul's not calling us to be spiritual bullies here. I believe he's calling us to live in light of who we have become. In other words, we need to make sure that our lives are held to the same standard that we are looking around and expecting other people to do. Get yourself right with God before you hold someone else to that standard. Does that sound familiar? Remember what Jesus said 
about the plank and the speck in your eye? Let me refresh your memory. This is Matthew 7, verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own? You hypocrite. First, take out the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Could you make a connection to Ephesians 5? Yes. We are called to expose these works of darkness, but we cannot do that, brothers and sisters, if your own heart is full of darkness. Light expels darkness. Darkness does not expel darkness. Which is why Paul has just previously called us to walk as children of light. We must first live in obedience to God and submission to his will before we can look around and start pointing out everybody else's apparent faults or shortcomings. The order of the events here is really important. First, we walk as children of light. Why do we do that? Because God in his grace has saved us, called us into his family, adopted us, made us his children. He's the father of light. We are his children. First step. Next, because we are children of light, we stay away. We do not partake in the unfruitful works of darkness. And only then will you and I have the credibility to go to another person and let the light that God has put in us expose What is there? Does that make sense? You can't jump to the end of that order and say, well, I'm not going to live my life. I'm going to do whatever I want, but I'm going to sure notice what everybody else is doing. Jesus would say, hypocrite. First, clean up your eye. In other words, confess your sin to God. Come clean to God. He is faithful and just, and will forgive your sin. And then when you are cleansed from that sin, when you have confidence of God's grace, take that experience and share it with someone else. And the light of what God has done in your heart will expose whatever God wants to expose in their heart. We are not the Holy Spirit. We don't convict people of sin. God does. (laughs) And yet we are called here to expose these things. And I would just encourage us Expose this by living a faithful, obedient, godly life, not by swinging the hammer as hard as you can. There is a right and godly way to do this, and there is a very unhelpful way to do this. We expose the works of darkness by walking in the light and in obedience to the word of God. Third, the third reason for being separate from the works of darkness is that our True and godly witness will not only expose sin, but lead others to the light. Look at chapter 5, Ephesians, verses 12 and 13. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Now maybe this was your experience, or maybe you've heard of this before, where someone comes to know Jesus Christ in a saving way because of the testimony or encouragement or example of another godly believer. You ever heard of that? Maybe that's your experience. 
What a motivation. <laughs> okay, our call isn't just on the negative, expose what's bad. Our call is on the positive, to live the kind of life that is different from the world so that there is something attractive spiritually about your life. Like I said, we're not just supposed to blend in and look the same as everybody else. God calls us to live this kind of light, to expose the darkness. But when things are exposed, <clears throat> we know what they are. And our job as Christians is to live this kind of faithful, obedient life in hopes that the lost will see and believe, yes, but also not only for the lost to be converted, but I think for other saints to be strengthened, other believers. Think of what an encouragement it is when you are struggling with a certain thing and you see someone else walking with the Lord and you see their example or they're able to share something with you about when they went through the same thing and you are encouraged and the light of that person's life sheds all of the things in your life. It just, it shows everything. And you go, huh, well, I didn't realize that before. That's the light of a life that is walking in obedience to God. And it is to not only expose what is there, but to show that we can be brought into the light by the work of God. This is so important. There is so much at stake here with our obedience to what Paul is calling us to in this text. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Not only is our own purity, holiness, example, it's all tied up in that, but also how we are seen. Our witness is at stake in the way that we live the Christian life. So how are you going to live your life? Will you be distinct from the world? There's a difference between distinct and just plain old stink, right? I've said this before. We're not just weird for weird's sake, but we are strangers and aliens. We do not adhere to the code of the world. So how are you going to live your life? The holidays are coming up. Work parties, unsaved family, traditions, all of that kind of stuff. What is going to be distinctly godly about your testimony? And you can do that without saying a word. Sometimes. I just want to ask you, how are you going to live? We don't have the same standards. But praise God, he hasn't just said, don't be like that and left it. <laughs> he tells us what he expects from us. And not only that, but and talking about merciful and gracious, God gives us his spirit. His own spirit that enables us to walk in obedience to what he has called us to. Don't, don't waste your life trying to fit in with the world. It is such a foolish pursuit. And it will leave you empty. If, if you've done that, if you've chased after those things in the past, you know. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Only a life of humble obedience to the word of God is what will truly satisfy us and make us the light that the world needs. It matters infinitely more what God thinks of you than what the world thinks of you. Do you know that? I know a lot of us are really concerned with how we look, how we appear to other people, if we're put together, if we're successful, if you, whatever. It matters so much more how God views you. 
So live your life in a way that is true to his word and take no part in those unfruitful works of darkness. Now in verse 14, Paul issues a call. It's like his rally cry to the church. Look at verse 14. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's not a lot of agreement about where this little statement from Paul comes from. A lot of people think it's some hymn that was used in the early church. But the other half recognize these as quotations or at least loose citations from the Old Testament. If you have a Bible that has the little numbers by it, these are called cross-references. And you look at those numbers, you'll probably get some references back to Isaiah, back to the first chapter of Luke. And I tend to agree that Paul is probably citing from Scripture, but there's a text that I think is really closely tied here. It would be Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60, uh, Isaiah is prophesying about the future of Israel when Messiah comes and the glory of God. And he says this, Arise, get up, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Paul is issuing a call here to wake up. He knows. Now whether this is a scripture citation, whether it's a song that was sung, it doesn't change the meaning. Paul knows that over time the church becomes apathetic. Lazy, tired, sleepy. They tend to kind of back off the pursuit of holiness. The the pressure of the world, the daily business of keeping things going, all those kinds of things cause the church to kind of nod off. Paul says, wake up. You are not of the world. The world sleeps in the dark. That's not your call. Does anyone remember a name, Keith Green? Got any Keith Green fans? Keith Green was a Christian recording artist in the 70s and early 80s. And he wrote a song called Asleep in the Light. And this song was an indictment against the church for its apathetic attitude towards the lost. This is kind of attitude that, well, we got, kind of got this church thing going and we're good in here. I've got Jesus and that's all that matters. Well, that isn't all that matters. Listen to what he says. It's great you got to go listen to this song afterwards. I won't sing it for you. I'll just read it. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you can't even get out of bed. Petra, my second favorite band, also had a song called Rose-Colored Stained Glass Windows. Same idea. How inside of the church we get this idea sometimes that it's, everything's great. We're, we're in the light. We're here. The world is dying <laughs> from sin. And if you and I are children of God, if we are children of light, we have the very thing that the world needs and it is not worldliness. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't sit here in church, Grace Bible Church, 
and assume that everything is fine because you have the light. Your call is to live in obedience to God and let the light of Jesus Christ expose what is around you for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. Live a godly life. There is no greater use of your time. There is no worthy pursuit than the pursuit of holiness and of a life that is pleasing to God. This is so important. Do not take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them by living in obedience to the word of God. And just in case you think this all depends on you, let me remind you of what we've already seen. That God has given us his spirit to enable you and I to make sometimes really slow progress in these areas. So don't be frustrated to the point of giving up. Keep pursuing what you know to be true from the word of God. Live a life that is in accordance with the Bible and God will give you the strength Get someone in your life that can spur you on, that can check in with you. Get in a discipleship group. Read the Bible with someone else. This is too important to leave set. God has called us to obedience. He's given us everything we need to do that, so let's do it. Let's pursue a life of holiness for the glory of God. You with me? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need so much help. We need so much help. On our own, this is impossible. Jesus said in John, apart from me, you can do nothing. But praise God, if you have saved us by your grace, we are not apart from you. But we are united to Christ through faith. And therefore, we have your spirit. We have the power that you supply through your spirit. We have your word to guide us in truth and righteousness. And Father, please, Do this work in our hearts. Keep us from the empty and unfruitful works of darkness. And give us the strength to live lives that are in obedience to you. And please come and do this work, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.